Welcome to the Fitness Nerds Podcast. This is co-host Ryan Smith with Coach Stephanie Holbrook, where we get a chance to geek out on all things fitness. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Sarika Serenhouse. She is a practitioner of Japanese-style acupuncture and moxie. She is a practitioner of Chinese medicine theory and her herbal medicine whole food nutrition, and natural lifestyle consulting using metabolic balance from Germany. She's a fermentation specialist, a teacher on whole food nutrition and traditional food preparation techniques. She's a member of the National Association of Nutrition Professionals and also a member and the North Phoenix Chapter Leader of the Weston A. Price Foundation. So welcome, Sarika. Thanks. Hi. Hi. Good to be here. I'm excited you are here too because um, we have some really, Sarika has some really good information that I think will help a lot of folks out there and she's just a fun person to talk to. So the, uh, <laughs> another bonus. So, uh, <laughs> so today we're going to talk about sugar sensitivity and mm-hmm. um, pre-digestion and what those things have to do with health and nutrition in the body. Mm-hmm. So welcome, Sarika. Well, thanks, Stephanie. It's it's always a joy working with you. I mean, you know, whether we're just chatting or we're doing a podcast, so I'm really happy to be on the show with you. Cool. So before we started the show, Sarika and I were talking about the pre-digestion and sugar sensitivity, especially in people who are sensitive. And Sarika's son is a little bit like me and that I'm super sensitive to sugar. and um, if I have too much of it, it, it literally makes me ill, like um, mm-hmm. happened a couple of days ago, and mm-hmm. it wasn't a pretty story. <laughs> so uh, um, too much sugar and a tiny bit of alcohol left me sick and, and throwing up. And that's sort of a, I had been informed by Peter Defty, who's been on a previous podcast, that that's sort of a side effect of a ketogenic diet, that you become more sensitive to alcohol. And um, talking to Sarika, the stuff that I added with the alcohol probably made it a lot worse. I had one and a half ounces of tequila with, and that was in two drinks of tequila, club soda, and lime, plus some um, the brownies and mm-hmm. some pizza. Mm-hmm. So that combo really left me horribly ill and vomiting for about four hours. So, um, so that's, so, um, and I know that there's probably other folks out there who are following this diet and thinking, what the heck is happening to me? I had a glass of wine and and it made me sick. So can you talk about that in some ways Mm -hmm. to sort of, you know, prevent that or, or managing it? Or I know preventing it would be to avoid the sugar. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, just say no. Yeah, just say no. <laughs> and the alcohol. Yeah, you know it's in it's an interesting thing. I think a lot of people, like I would say, most of society, walks around in a in a much lower vibration. And I'm not trying to be, um, you know, airy fairy with my talk there, but I really do mean vibrating at a frequency that's lower than their potential. And they don't recognize it because they've lived their entire life that way. You know, um, if if you were raised in America, you very likely started your life off on a formula and um, then moved on to a rice cereal. Um, and the whole palate is, you know, sweet potatoes and peas. Things are very starchy. And that's how the palate is set. And as the palate is set that way, Um, And the person continues to develop. And again, they're living in America where um, we have a tremendous amount of starchy, sweet foods that people eat. And they need to eat every couple of hours because they are just flat out exhausted if they don't. Their blood sugar drops. And that's just how folks kind of expect life is supposed to be. And when you begin incorporating more healing saturated fats um, and cholesterol into your diet, things that heal the cell membrane and begin to dial down 
that requirement of needing to be always uploading with carbohydrates to keep our energy up because our body's never tapped into its own reserves of energy through its fat stores. What ends up happening is uh, as you do make that transition, you realize how, how muddied you have been by that lifestyle. And when you do something where by most people's standards, bringing in a thin crust pizza and um, a little bit of brownies and a, you know, what for most people would be a standard serving of alcohol. Um, you do that in a system that has really moved away from sugar. Uh, it's amazing the effect that it can bring. And so these are the kinds of things that, um, you know, it's, it's really, an amazing thing to me um, how poisoning that that can be um, to live that kind of uh, American lifestyle or Western lifestyle, I guess you would say. And as you alluded to, Stephanie, my son is one of those people and he's young. And so um, it's been an interesting thing to see this begin to develop in his life where if he's at a birthday party or something, and he eats a lot of refined carbohydrates. Um, so that would be cakes and, you know, maybe some horrible kind of cheese puff ball and things like that. If he eats that sort of thing, um, what ends up happening is he, um, he starts fermenting from the inside. And, and, and this is not just my opinion. There are people who the biome of their gut is such that when they eat these refined carbohydrates, they become drunk. And I have seen this happen in my son um, more than a few times. And when it happens, I, you know, being a practitioner, I am thinking, okay, we need to, of course, you know, get some good water into him and start clearing this out. We need to rehydrate his cells, but um, we need to um, really bring in a lot of fat, try and temper the rest of the sugar that's in there, some protein, if I have some bone broth on hand, that's what he's going to be having at his next meal and a good lot of it. Um, there, and then, of course, also using uh, enzymes to help clean up the rest of that residue that is that is there in his gut and continuing to foment and create this fermentation cycle within him. So it really is something that um, none of us are designed to eat the amount of carbohydrate that we do in modern times. Uh, but some of us are even um, less well-designed uh, to handle that, or, or I guess we could say uh, better designed, because when we look historically at um, the development of humanity, it was those people who were very, very sensitive to sugars that actually were the group that could withstand long series of famine. And uh, like I think of uh, the Native Americans um, here in Arizona, um, those are some hardy people and they did not have a lot of starch in their uh, diet. And when they would get it, their body was very um, adept at being able to put that into fat stores so that they could use that through periods of famine. And now when we look at, you know, that group as a, um, as a whole, and they're eating the standard American diet, we see a tremendous amount of, of obesity, type two diabetes, um, and they, what it is, is they're just, their bodies are too efficient and they hold on to all the sugars that, that, um, you know, a few generations back would have never been there for them in the first place. And um, so it really is something that our bodies do best if we keep the sugars down. And that's one of the reasons that I like talking and teaching about pre-digestion methods, because one of the mainstays of this concept of pre-digestion is that you're um, taking the more complex carbohydrates, uh, these bigger sugar molecules, and you're breaking them down into simpler sugars that make it easier for the body to take that energy source and put it to use in the body. And it keeps the whole system moving much more uh, efficiently. And the thing is, is in modern times, we've just gotten so far away of, of preparing foods the way that our ancestors did. And one of, again, the mainstays to what they did was they would soak things and they would ferment things. And, you know, any basic understanding of fermentation and culturing 
what that is is you're you're doing exactly as I said. You're taking larger protein molecules, um, and you're taking larger uh, sugar molecules, and you're cleaving them out, the proteins into uh, peptides and amino acids, and the sugars and or, or the carbohydrates into simpler sugars. And when we do this, it lightens the load on the gut and on the entire system. And it's um, a really, uh, it's a very potent way to increase the body's vitality because what you're doing is you're taking the domain of the digestive tract and you're doing it for the digestive tract so that by the time it gets into your body, it is in a much more bioavailable format. So, it, you know, we could talk a month of Sundays about this stuff, Stephanie, because right. it's so far reaching. I mean, the impact of it is, is, is about the most profound thing I've studied. Yes. And I, and it's not that hard to no. pre-digest <laughs> stuff because, I mean, you just add a little, you know, kombucha or water kefir or, mm -hmm. and, or salt and, uh, yeah. and to that, you just let it sit. I mean, I was, yeah. uh, fermenting some peas on the counter and my husband's mm -hmm. like, I think it's fermented enough. It's bubbly. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll cook them. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's, it is really something when you look at traditional societies, um, folks didn't take, you know, just a bunch of grain and grind it up and, you know, use it. They would soak it and soften it. And then, you know, even better, in my opinion, um, is exactly as you say, allowing it to ferment some. And when you do that, you know, these bacteria, they do the heavy lifting that we need. Um, I mean, because, you know, when you think of a human body um, compared to, like, say, um, a gorilla or a cow, um, where you've got in these types of animals, you've got these huge bellies, like in a cow, you've got a few stomachs and this gorilla, you know, you've got this huge belly that is just right with um, uh, different pH gradients and, and bacteria and whatnot. And then you take a human and humans really have these rather compact designs on their, on their digestive tracts. And yet um, I think most people would say that we're as evolved as they come in terms of sentient species here on this planet. And so because of that, you ha I personally have to stand back and say, how did that happen? Given that we have this, this rather uh, rudimentary digestive tract, um, I wouldn't even call it rudimentary. It's not that, but it's compact. It doesn't have a lot of square footage to it compared to other critters. And uh, how then did we evolve to have the brain that we have? that has been supported by this rather, you know, lesser digestive tract. Well, um, in my humble opinion, I believe that it's because of the behaviors that evolved over time with humanity of using these different methods of preparing foods for uh, digestion for us. And um, again, that's where you get into the culturing and the fermentation or another thing that I'm a huge proponent of is broths. And, and yep, exactly. I mean, just taking that nutrition and getting it into us. And nobody eats that now. No one eats organ meats. You know, it's People a rare. In our house, you eat organ meats. Well, <laughs> bad in your house too. <laughs> I have to sneak them in on my kids. Yeah. Oh, it's true. But I mean, you know, I mean, most people. Oh my goodness, and it's a shame because it wasn't. I would say probably that behavior of eating like liver and onions and whatnot. I think that really started to kind of fall out of favor in probably the 60s. Right. And it's just so a generation and or two yeah, away from Exactly. From We're a little bit far removed from it. And um oh my goodness, the the price we pay for um you know uh doing these types of in my opinion indiscretions with our diet. So um yeah, it's it, and of course Sugar definitely has its part to play in all of this, but it has also to do, of course, with the healing fats and the different, you know, bioavailable vitamins um, and minerals. Um, it's a it's a very rich, nutritionally rich way to eat that leaves you so incredibly satisfied. You know, it's no problem when you eat this way to go, you know, 
five, six, seven hours between meals, and you don't have those dips in your blood sugar. Right. And and, my, and when I had when I went to my friend's house, I uh -huh. had my bulletproof coffee or coffee with butter in the morning, uh -huh. and I had not eaten all day until that time, and that well, was yes. like six o'clock at night. Yeah. So and I wasn't yes. hungry. And right. So and if I had had something a high fat you know, diet or something to eat. Yeah. I probably would have been fine, you know, till I went to bed. It's just that right. I, I interrupted it with a you know, sugar. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, with a little yeah. And that is it, boy, you really did interrupt that cycle. Um and it really does show you what a strain that is on on the cells and the pancreas and the liver. Um it it really has such a damaging effect. And it's, it's an interesting thing. We had um, some friends over yesterday and their kids were here and um, munching away on, you know, uh, cold sugar cereal. Not the, They brought it in a bag. And um, it's one of those things where, you know, here's this little guy and he's saying, you know, you, your family doesn't eat sugar. And, you know, our family eats sugar. And um, it was, it's tough because you don't want to create any kind of a rift you know, between families or anything that way. But the common behavior is to allow children to just stay snacking on these sugary carbohydrate um, experiences. I wouldn't even call it nutrition. And you have to think about what is that doing um, to the brains? And uh, and he's a smart little guy. So, I mean, he's <laughs> he's he's doing well in spite of himself. But um, also in terms of, uh, you know, what's that going to mean for them as they get older and, and the development of metabolic balance or metabolic balance, metabolic syndrome um, and uh, these precursors to, you know, really devastating diseases. Well, and it doesn't only start with the child once it's born and they're given all these carbohydrates. It starts with the mother and what they've eaten and how addicted they are. The mother feeding the child through the womb, how right. addicted they are to sugar, too. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And um, it's it, it, and that, of course, doesn't even get into the toxicity issues and whatnot. Um, and speaking to that, though, one of the really neat things about um, bone broth, which is about one of the most nourishing foods um, a pregnant mother can eat um, to, to help her, you know, in her journey of uh, preparing for being a mother for the rest of her life. Um, one of the interesting components of it is a, an amino acid. It's called glycine. And glycine is integral to the body's ability to detoxify. And we, we think of these moms, and, and I haven't always eaten this way. When I was pregnant with my son, um, I uh, ate a lot more carbohydrate content than I do now. And I was I just felt sick the entire pregnancy. And I didn't understand um, why. And now I, I feel like I really understand part of what the issue was, and that was that I wasn't eating foods that were rich in glycine. And the body's ability to detoxify is in direct relation to the amount of glycine that's available for the liver to use for detoxification. And so, you know, when we think about bone broth, we think of the nourishing aspects and the, and the cellular membrane healing aspects. Um, and, uh, but it goes into even more than that. And um, it really, and, and the thing that's so great about it is it just tastes fantastic. So, um, and that's yeah. the neat thing about working in this realm too, is that these foods taste so good. Right. I mean, who doesn't want to load up on butter and a beautiful, you know, rich stock with veggies in it? I mean, it's just yummy. It's it, a good way to eat. Yeah, it feels good. Although I, I work with some clients who have adapted this diet and mm -hmm. because their body is not so much used to all the fat, it uh -huh. can take a little bit of an adjustment period. You might need something oh, like yeah. digestive enzymes yes. um, to help with the digestion because your body's just not used to making the enzymes to, right, yes. to, mm -hmm. to break down the, the fats 
And that is an important thing because, you know, our body is going to run as efficiently as possible. And if what we've been feeding it is a bunch of carbohydrates, then, you know, exactly that enzyme content is going to be more focused on um, carbohydrate breakdown. Whereas um, when we do exactly as you say, and you see the same thing happen, you know, if a person's been a vegetarian for a decade and they decide it's time to start bringing in some meat again, their body a long time ago shifted its focus away from, you know, producing what was needed to break that down. And so you're exactly right. You At the beginning, it's like anything, even with bringing in ferments. I mean, you have to start low and slow and allow that period of time for adaptation um, and to possibly be using some supplements along the way to um, help ease that process and get get the machine running the way it needs to to support that new behavior right yeah yeah for me um when i switched over eating like this um Mm -hmm. i had a period where a bunch of my hair fell out oh interesting and and i looked it up and they said you know when you do a major you know Mm -hmm. uh, dr eads had written an article about it when you change your diet and you switch to a different energy system it's sort of a shock to your system so it, it stops growing so yeah. your hair doesn't fall out then. It falls out when it starts growing again. Ah, interesting. So it, when it started growing again, and actually mm-hmm. when it started falling out is when I was, you know, over the hump and feeling really good. And, you know, oh. most days I feel good. And I was like, what the heck's going on? My hair right. is falling out. <laughs> but, <so> um, <laughs> yeah, but I, um, and I thought, you know, should I stop my diet or, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I went through, well, I feel better, I look a lot better, I mm-hmm. have more mental clarity, I'm sleeping better, everything else is better. The only negative thing is I'm losing hair, which is a pretty big yes. negative, but it is. <laughs> but <laughs> but I looked it up and my hair is growing back again. Like it's oh, it, it's ha- it stopped falling out. But um, oh, that was a few months good. ago. Oh, um, and thankfully the article gave me a little insight on like, hey, um, you're it's it's not the end of the world and it'll 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 naturally correct itself oh sure but but it does make sense i mean that is it's a big stress on the system you know it's one of the things that when i work with people on their diet i you know i say we really we need to shift you from being a sugar burner which you were and i was for most of my life into being a fat burner where you're you're accustomed to leaning on this replete fat reserve that we all have and um oh my gosh that is a huge transition um again when from day one you've been something completely different than that right and in the womb you were a sugar burner (laughs) exactly (laughs) it's so true because goodness knows we've really you know moved away from the traditional bear fat diet for the you know yeah and through asking genetics those genes turn on and off Oh, yeah. So if you're turning, if all those genes are on, it mm-hmm. takes a while. Just think of your you know, circuit breaker. To yep. turn on all the circuit breakers, that takes a while. It so surely do, does. And to flip them all back over, that's going to take that's going to take a while. Yes, it does. It totally takes a while. And, you know, that is one of the things that is so, um, but it's so worth it. I mean, it is so worth it. I, you know, as... Uh, I moved and our family moved and, um, you know, that uh, is considered a big stress in a lot of people's lives. And, um, we're living up in Flagstaff, Arizona now. And, um, in the middle of winter, I mean, it was over the holidays. So we had that dynamic as well. There've been other big issues that have been happening too. And, um, I'm amazed. I am amazed at the reserve of peace and vitality and mental clarity that I have had through this entire process. And I'm going to be 44 um, in a couple months. I mean, I'm not a spring chicken and I've got, you know, a couple of kids and a couple of crazy dogs. You know, you have all these things happening in your life. And if it had been me 10 years ago, I I would have just been a very different um, person in response to all the things going on right now. But when you become a person who really leans on their own reserves and knows how to do that, it is such a stable 
and calm feeling. It really makes you feel, you feel centered. And oh my gosh, I mean, I'll have my hair fall out a little bit. <laughs> it's a price to pay. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, um, and that's the thing. Whenever you have stressors in your life and you're right. also dealing with up and down blood sugar, oh. then you're, it's like a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster. And, and you're chasing yourself. Right. But if you're a fat burner, because sugar is like kindling and fat is like a log. So, yes. Yes. So if you have that log to burn, you you don't need to go. I know that if I needed to, I could go, you know, 24 or even 48 or 36 hours mm-hmm. without food as long as I had water and salt. Um, yes. Yeah. And Yeah, the salt is huge. Yeah. I will tell you, that's another thing I learned on eating like this. Mm-hmm. I have to not only double, but probably quadruple the amount of salt I need. Oh, that's interesting. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I start to get leg cramps. That's another side of it. Yes. But um, like yeah. I start feeling little tingles in my feet, and I just go and put a couple teaspoons of salt, um, in water and stir it up, and and then drink it, and I'm fine. You're but, good. Mm-hmm. But you know, in Native American cultures, I was an archaeologist before I was a personal trainer and coach. Mm-hmm. Um. There are huge trade networks of salt. I mean, they, salt was prized like gold. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting um, because I do so much fermentation and I tend to work with water for pure. um, I need sugar and, you know, in the house and, um, or some source of sugar. And, but then the salt. I really feel like if I have butter, salt, and sugar, I can do anything. And, and I mean that, and the salt is so incredibly important. And if you look in my pantry, I mean, I've got like six or seven types of salt. Use it for everything. I mean, it is, it is such a potent, um, tool in our wellness. And of course, you and I both know, and everybody listening to this probably knows, these are high quality salts. Yeah, don't get the Morton's. No, that's the white depleted. <laughs> get a bunch of different color salts. That's it, because that's all trace mineral content. And salt is nothing more. Salt, you know, in America, most people equate salt with sodium. But salt is any type of mineral profile and, and a grouping of mineral profiles. And sure enough, I mean, you look at, like, say, Celtic sea salt versus, you know, Himalayan pink salt. I mean, you can just see with your naked eye that there's a very different mineral distribution in those two different types of salts. And it's important for us to have that that micro-mineral distribution in our diet. And that really helps us to do that. I mean, it keeps the processes functioning in our body. At a cellular level, I mean, it's it's profoundly important. Right, and the electrical signal, that's, salt yes. helps conduct the the electrical signals that we all have. Your heart that's is right. pretty electric. Exactly. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, no, I think that's brilliant. And, you know, and here it is in America, my gosh, you know, forever we've told people that you don't eat fat and you need to cut the salt out. And it's... I honestly, Stephanie, it's something where I just think, how the heck have we lived through this? I don't know. And it's the, the there's places that still oh, yeah. really promote that. I had I a job interview mm-hmm. um, for a personal training job. And I, the guy was showing me this computer program that they use for nutrition. And it, mm-hmm. t- and it depending on if you have high cholesterol, the, oh. the program will put you on a low fat diet. Oh. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I was like, and I decided that I could not work there. No. Because I mean, there's some, there's some things you can bridge. There are other things you just have to let go. Yeah. And then, you know, where I used to work at the rec centers in Sun City, mm-hmm. Sun City West, I was sitting down with the, um, my manager who I used to work with. I was talking to her and telling her I wanted to come back and, um, she's like all on the same page with me and I was telling her about that she was like oh my goodness <laughs> but oh you know, she's and she understood why I yeah wouldn't want to work Gotta there go. I know. Yeah, and uh you know unfortunately they don't have enough work full-time at the record right. that I can to go. support you right yeah. so I'm I'm still looking for something because um but it was just a really an eye-opener of how yeah. you feel like you're in one universe 
and then mm-hmm. in another. Like your and, idea of health, my idea of health and what constitutes health and what steps you need to take to become healthy or remain healthy yeah. are not on the same page as those people. And if you talk to one of those people like, hey, I eat a whole lot of saturated fat every single day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I drink it in my coffee in the morning. I have it mm-hmm. at lunch and my vegetables and then in dinner, I'll eat some too, you know, and I feel feel better and I'm thinner, they look at you like you're a crazy person. But you know, this is the thing. And I guess just, I don't know, (laughs) maybe because I've just seen it happen in people's lives when they make these changes and um, the good that comes of it, like amazing how they turn around and in a lot of different presentations. Exactly. And, you know, as you continue to see that and you certainly feel it in your own life and you see the, you know, the fruit that it bears when you can, you know, bring it into your children's lives and all that good stuff, you become, I think, yeah, I think you have a pretty compelling story and, and you believe it in your heart and soul. And I have to say for me as a practitioner, uh, it's a lot of fun to bring this information to people because most of us, myself included, have lived a life of scarcity and uh, needing to keep myself from doing things because they were bad for me. Like, I'm not going to have that butter. Um, and when you bring to the table this concept of true nourishment, people's eyes just light up. I mean, they are so grateful for that information, and it's so beautiful to see the evolution happen right. in their lives. Because, it's awesome. Yeah, and well, and I've seen it in my clients that they yeah. feel like, oh, I don't have willpower. Well, it's not willpower. It's your no. body craving nutrition. Yes. It not, it's, and we always associate to something in our head, like my head is broken because I want it. I want something that I shouldn't have. Right. But instead of it's the body's craving something that it needs. That it needs. That it needs in a very profound, deep way for uh, healing and, and uh, you know, that just plain, flat out nourishment. Right. It is. And sometimes we short circuit that and go along and eat stuff that we shouldn't. And then you get a direct response from your body telling you, yeah. no, that's not a good idea. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, it is so true, and you got that this weekend. So, yes. um, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's and no it's good. not likely that I'll forget that for at no, least you a won't. couple years. <laughs> <laughs> it is neat the way the signs become more clear. They really do. And you know, it's funny. This morning I was thinking about because um, I knew we were going to be talking, and so I was um, just thinking about like the methods. Um, you know, that I teach on and everything. And I was saying about beans, like for a long time, before I started getting into traditional food preparation methods, I wanted to, I mean, like I really was eating well by most people's standards, you know, quote unquote, eating well. But what was happening in my life was I was always running around kind of being kind of bloated and maybe a little gassy, but I was, you know, eating organic beans, canned beans and, um, you know, uh, different types, you know, whole grains and this kind of thing. Um, And I just kind of figured, as I think a lot of people might, that, you know, when you eat those types of foods with all that roughage and everything, you know, you're going to get gassy. Well, that's not the whole story because, I mean, when you do these methods of soaking and fermenting and everything, you end up, as we've said, cleaving these more complex components into much simpler to digest um, aspects and now I mean like I I think I eat more carbohydrate than you do but every carbohydrate that comes into my mouth has been pre-digested I don't I don't eat otherwise and um, I mean if we go out to eat which we do maybe once a month but even then I'll have salad and some protein and so it, even that doesn't really count um, so anything at home um, is pre-digested. Everything is soaked. Everything right. is fermented, whether it's the beans or the nuts or the seeds or the grains. And, and if you have, well, I'm talking about that. If you have gas, that's usually, mm, that should be a sign. Something a is sign. not right. Something if is you not don't right. feel like, if you don't, you know, poo 12 inches a day, 
Right. And it comes out pretty easily and you don't have, you know, you shouldn't be having a bunch of gas. You shouldn't have, no. you should feel like when you go to the bathroom, you're like, oh, I feel good. <laughs> yes, exactly. And not nauseated and, you know, blowing up the bathroom and everything. Right. And, you know, when that's happening, um, you really, I mean, think about that. If you're kind of gassy and crampy and bloaty all the time, all that is is your body is not putting to use what it needs to put to use, and it's a strain on your system. And, you know, because often what will happen with that is, you know, you might notice your nose runs a lot, or you maybe have more of a tendency to catch colds, that kind of thing. And maybe your head feels a little foggy, but you might not even know that because your head's always felt foggy because you've always eaten this way. You know, it's um, it's such a far-reaching um, issue. And the the thing is, is like, for instance, you know, when you are gassy that way, and we think of beans. Well, one of the huge carbohydrates that's in beans is oligosaccharides. And these oligosaccharides, if they're not pre-digested for us, um, then what's going to happen is that's going to make its way through our digestive tract, largely untouched. Like, we can't break it down. And then by the time it reaches the large intestine, those oligosaccharides are a feeding frenzy for the bacteria that are in our gut. And that's what gives rise to all that gas. And so you didn't get anything from it. And you've created this huge fermentation uh, in your belly <clears throat> and creating a lot of gas and disruption. And so when, you know, for instance, like, you know, we can do fava beans, we can do pinto beans, black beans, whatever. We all ferment them for at least a day. And you know things are really getting into a good fermentation cycle because <clears throat> you'll see the bubbles of it and you'll be able to smell. I mean, it looks like a little glass of bean champagne. And uh, that is what the lactobacillus bacteria, they are really acting on the uh, carbohydrates that are in those beans. And in the wake of that digestion of those oligosaccharides and other large sugars, you're, a lot of uh, carbon dioxide is generated. And the carbon dioxide is what we see as a little, you know, bubbly bits when we're fermenting. And so then you do this and then you go and cook the beans after you've done all of this pre-digestion. And then when you go to eat those beans, they don't make you gassy. They just digest beautifully. They digest like a salad with a little bit of protein on it which in my mind is a very digestible kind of food, um, you know, a little meal that way. And uh, so it's so wonderful now to be incorporating a whole range of foods, which I think we should. I think a lot of people, you know, as they've gotten into eating, um, you know, paleo or whatever, you know, the, the idea is, you know, you're going to have a muscle cut and you're going to have it with some salad or, you know, some veggies or something. And I, you know, you look at our dentition, I mean, we're omnivores. We're designed to eat a lot of different varieties of foods, but we're omnivores, again, who need a lot of help with that pre-digestion. And when we bring it all together that way, when we use these traditional methods that way, we are able to have this full cacophony of um, nutrition that is a whole different thing than always just eating some veg with some meat. Um, so it's a really um, balanced way of eating and um, it's terrific because it gives you such a, a broad range of a nutrition profile. And it's good to have, it's nice for your palate to have variety. It is. It's a lot of fun. I mean, and you know, quite honestly, it saves a lot of money. Right. Because well, because beans are so cheap. If beans are cheap, grains are cheap, um, <clears throat> nuts and seeds are not so cheap. But um, also, we shouldn't be eating a whole ton of those, even if we are. Um, no, I don't do. I don't do well with a ton of nuts. No, honestly, you know, they tend to be higher in polyunsaturated fats and uh, omega sixes. And, uh, you know, that lends itself towards some inflammation. But even with that, anything we do with nuts and seeds, we always soak them and ferment them first. And uh, it does make them much more digestible. It gets a lot of those anti-nutrients out of the way that are an issue, like tannins and lectins um, and phytic acid. And all of that is just, you know, 
gluten's been a real whipping boy for a long time here. Um, and, you know, to some degree for good reason. Um, but honestly, I feel like it's, it's just been one of many issues in the modern diet. And it's just been the one that most people have, have ridden. And, um, but in the wake of, you know, going to a totally gluten-free diet and then what you're eating is a gluten-free processed food diet, <clears throat> you're just creating another issue. And it may not bear fruit immediately, but over time it bears fruit. And so, oh, yeah. So, oh, goodness, I almost fell on my chair. Should oh, no, no, no. I have, <laughs> I'll have to take that out, Ted. Uh, I had a little, there's a wheel missing. missing. Oh, oh, no. And I tried to lean the other way, but. Oh, crap. So, I know I need a new chair. Pull it out. Pull it out. So, um, the, um, for, Folks who want to learn how to cook like this, you offer an online course mm -hmm. to, um, and what's the course called? It's called Fresh, Fun, and Flavorful in the Funky Kitchen. And what it is, is it's a six-module course. Um, and it's mostly audio with notes, though I also have in kind of a private members area. We've got um, a lot of video that I have shot, you know, in my home kitchen where I just, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words and um, it allows, um, you know, to see, you know, what different fermentation cycles look like and, you know, kind of what you can expect. Um, but so much of the thrust of what I do is with this course is just being available to the members and helping them to troubleshoot and feel confident as they go through the processes of traditional food preparation methods. And that's an important thing because I know when I first started culturing and then getting, you know, into kind of wild fermentation and things like that, it's hard to trust yourself because we've grown up in an age of uh, preserved foods um, and refrigeration. And when you take different things and you leave them out at room temperature or even kind of warm them up a bit and leave them out for a day, day and a half, things like that, there's a big trust issue right. in that. And am I doing it right? And is this safe? Because, you know, when you ferment things, off-sense off do happen. That's part of the fermentation cycle. And to kind of have someone there to hold your hand through the process and look at the photos you might need to send over and things like that, that is worth its weight in gold to help a person really begin to feel confident with the methods. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident with the methods, but my husband still freaks out when he sees all kinds of jars and stuff. And I know, I know. It looks like labs and houses like ours, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, the counter has like all these different jars in the pantry. I know. There's weird jars with stuff growing in them. Oh, totally. And it's, and you really do have to be careful. I mean, like you said, you know, you were fermenting some peas and the thing that can happen when you ferment peas is um, a lot of carbohydrate mass can be kicked up in the bubbles at the top of the peas. Uh, and um, that carbohydrate, um, this kind of foam that happens at the top, that can easily become a breeding ground for uh, airborne uh, mold spores. Right. And so that's where, again, you know, those types of little troubleshooting things of, you know, yeah, you know, as it long as you too keep, far. yeah, you've got to keep an eye on it. You right. can't just let it sit there for two days and expect it is all going to be okay. Um, you know, when you do have a lot of foamy stuff coming to the top, it's probably a good idea to scrape most of that off as it happens and, you know, toss it in the sink and then, um, you know, let it continue to ferment. So. Um, it's little things like that that exactly, I mean, it looks crazy to people that don't do this kind of thing. And um, and yet, when you begin to do it, it just becomes a very common uh, thing. Uh, it's as common as getting up and having a glass of water in the morning. You just have these things going in your kitchen. And again, I know for us, I mean, I, I wouldn't do it any other way. I, I would not do it any other way. The the impact has been the again really i think the most profound thing i've ever done for my health and that's coming from someone who's got this master's degree in traditional chinese medicine there have been a lot of big changes i've made in my life but it's the traditional foods that has been the foundation to true vitality 
And what is the, you had one of your courses before that one of the ladies mm -hmm. posted a note about how she goes, does anybody feel like this is making you happier? Isn't that the best? Oh my right. gosh. I, you know, and it's funny, Stephanie, because you almost, it's not that you take it for granted, but it's an evolution that happens and you almost kind of forget. I mean, I'm all self-taught on all of these methods. And so this has been a like, you know, many years in the making. Right. For me too. Yeah. yeah. And so that's a slow evolution. And, and so you almost, it almost kind of sneaks up on you how good life is. And, you know, when you're really feeling well and, um, but then when you've got someone who's in this kind of a six week course, like, you know, I've created and you're asking the participants, okay, every week I want you to do one of these methods and I want you to, you know, let me know how it goes and, you know, report back with any issues. So people are moving through the process more quickly. And what I was so excited to see was the positive outcome in terms of how they felt with their creative cycle in the kitchen. Um, but then also the good fruit that it was bearing in terms of mental outlook. Uh, so yeah, uh, that, which is just brilliant, but it makes sense because the biome, our inner gut workings is so intimately tied to our mental state. And, um, so yeah, that was one of the really neat little messages I got at that point. I love that. Yeah. It's good feedback to say, Hey, yeah, I'm definitely on the right track and doing the right thing. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, so it is, it's just such a fun program. And so we do, we get into, um, I mean, I always started with helping people to make sure that they've got what they need on hand before we get going into anything. And so, you know, the first session is about proper sourcing of ingredients and having some good basic tools on hand. And I'm a big believer in using what you have. Um, it's nice to have some additional tools, but there aren't too many things that you need to buy to do this kind of thing to really, I mean, there's always going to be fancy little fun things to purchase, but, um, mostly it's about mason jars. Yeah. And, and so, mason jars and strainers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty darn simple. Um, and then, yeah, then we get into, you know, um, fermentation and culturing media and then, uh, bone broth. And then how to use a fermentation and culturing media to work on, you know, all those other types of foods that people eat or should be eating. Um, and then also low heat dehydration. And so, um, you know, by the end of the course, um, the participants, they have not only an understanding of how to do these methods, but as you know, you, as you know me, I mean, I'm all about why you need to do these methods because right. you can't just tell people to do things. You have to get their buy-in of showing them what is so important in, in what they're going to get from making the effort to do this. Right. And you also show people why, but like how to do it. So you're not spending all your time cooking. Well, and that's it too. Um, uh, like anything at the outset, you know, you're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's going to be a little bit of a stress because it's all kind of new. But the end point of it all is that you're going to, in the end, um, have an easy time with this stuff. I mean, it's just a matter of all of it is simply just thinking ahead for yourself is what it is. And once you get into the habit of that, so for instance, you know, like if I want us to have some quinoa, I am going to start making the quinoa today. And tomorrow is when we're going to enjoy the quinoa. And it takes me no additional time. It takes no additional time uh, on my part. It's just, I have to set the stage for it to be prepared. And then when it comes time to actually cook it, that's when I do it. So it's always kind of, I call it, you know, taking care of the future you is what you do when you use these methods. Yeah. And after a while, when you get in the habit of growing that way, it makes it easier because then you already know what you're having for dinner the next day. And it's oh. totally true. And, and of course, I'm a big fan of making things in bulk and uh, freezing or at least just keeping in the fridge, you know, for, you know, a, a couple few meals um, because I don't know. I'm super frugal and I can't stand wasting money eating well, out. 
That's what I like about, you know, when you eat like this, you don't want to eat out. For you me, don't. I get irritated when I eat out because the food doesn't taste as good as my food. No, that's right. <laughs> so, and, and you just, you walk away and you feel like, yeah, I'm full, but am I going to feel full, you know? Like and you don't I'm know used to feeling what they Yeah, and then you don't know what they use to cook it. And like oh. the oils are a big thing. And you, yes. when you have something that they've cooked in oil, like eggs or something, you're like, yes, are they using butter? Are oh, they no. used, did they have it too hot? I did know. Did they use canola it's oil? Or, you know, <laughs> like, why are they using it? Even if you ask them, half the time they don't even know. I know. And they no, say, oh. you know, they'll say, oh, we use vegetable oil. Well, vegetable oil is usually soybean oil. And I don't want yeah. soybean oil in no. my body. So. No. No, and it's true. It just is, yeah, and it just rubs me. I mean, you know, our kids, they got straight A's last semester. And so this last weekend we took them out to an organic restaurant and uh, you know 75 dollars later um, the four of us had a meal it makes me batty uh, because again it yeah it was organic it was high quality for restaurants version of things but um man 75 dollars i can that is a food. It is. That's a good inroad to groceries at our house for the week. I know. <laughs> but it was fun for them. And so, I mean, you do. You have to live in balance with the world. But, um, yeah, the more you do this, the more you see the power that you have in in your own creative mind and in your own kitchen. Yeah. Well, perfect. And so I will have a link to, if you want to check out Sarika's website, I'll have a link in the notes. And also a link, don't you have an intro video to uh, talk about your class? Mm -hmm. And I'll put that up there too. So you can have a link to the intro and um, and then you'll be able to sign up for a class or just at least check out more information. If you're in Flagstaff, you can <laughs> see Sarika. She used to live uh, 15 minutes from me. <laughs> Yes. So now if I want acupuncture, I have to drive two hours. <laughs> but it'll be fun. We'll yeah. go take a walk afterward. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go hiking. I'll make yes, it a weekend. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, no, which is... Thank you so much, Sarika. And um, I really appreciate your time and what you're doing for folks to make them feel better. Thanks, Stephanie, and I appreciate you too, sweetie. Thank you for everything. You're welcome.